You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Dima Rechkovsky was an up-and-coming youth basketball player in his home country of Ukraine, but the negative influence of some coaches took away his joy and a lot of his interest in pursuing the sports. Some coaches used the old Soviet method of coaching through intimidation. Others displayed simply a lack of interest in development of their players. Instead of wanting to impress his coaches, Dima was almost afraid to disappoint them. He stopped trying for his best efforts. Instead, he gave just enough effort to not make mistakes. Through the inspiration of a coach at a sports camp he attended in Poland a few years back, Dima regained the joy of competing and found motivation to inspire the next generation of coaches by teaching positive reinforcement. And his is an inspiring story. Dima, welcome to Sports Connections. Thank you, David. Great, great description. I really appreciate it. Very cool. Thank you. Good to catch up with you. Uh, it's been been a few few months since we got to see each other face to face, but uh, you are with us from your home in Kiev, where uh, your baby is your baby is about a week from delivering your wife. Let's try that. Your wife is about a week away from delivering your first child. So, uh, if if you all of a sudden have to run because Riley says it's time, uh, we'll re-record later. <laughs> So let, let's start with your playing career. How good could you have been as a, as a basketball player? That's an interesting question because you always want to be the best as you can be. And I don't, I don't want to say excuses. Oh, someone else, uh, someone else was on the way of my success. So obviously I didn't reach professional level because that's first of all my fault. But I do believe that with different coaches, I could have possibly different uh, outcome. So you could have played professionally in, in Europe. Did you have, I've watched you play. Uh, when, when I was watching you play, uh, you were already uh, a pr- fast approaching 30. So it's not a good time to judge whether you had uh, NBA potential, but do you feel like with proper coaching, you could have played, could have been one of the international players in the NBA? I don't know about NBA, but with good uh, right coaches in the right time, I possibly could reach professional level in Ukraine. Uh, don't want to blame anyone. I didn't reach this level because I didn't work hard enough, probably. Uh, but uh, I would say coaches didn't help me either. Yeah, and and I know you don't want to you, you don't want to blame anybody, but the like we talked about before, and I've I've heard your story and I've told your story before that the coaches just didn't motivate you and stole your joy. That's a big expression here uh, in the States about someone stealing your joy. Talk about, not necessarily by name, but some of the coaches whose coaching methods stole that joy. Well, I, I'm, uh, I was starting playing basketball uh, early 2000, end of, uh, end, uh, end of ni- 1990s, like 99, I believe. That was still pretty close, like less than 10 years from Soviet Union. So coaches that coached us uh, learned to coach in the way how all Soviet Union worked. So it was in the way that they, they care more about results than kids. They care only about wins. And no matter what, they didn't care about hearts of athletes, kids. They didn't care about how to open the best potential in every player. So basically, every time when you didn't reach results, uh, it was a uh, punishment. You, you, it was very negative uh, attitude. 
that obviously didn't help young kids to be better, but most times just scared us even more. Personally, I didn't have good experience with coach. And every time when I was punished for just a bad play, as a kid, you're playing, you're not doing everything right. I was punished. I was yelled at, yelled in my face. Uh, I was a kid. I remember I was even crying. I was so upset from how coach treated me because of some bad game. All of that taught me to watch for my mistake more than be focused on my game and get imp- and be a better player and improve. Obviously, that, that was on the way of my progress because I was afraid to try something new. I was afraid to be aggressive and play more aggressive. My, my mistakes were first that I was thinking about. You told me once uh, about uh, a game, and I think it was a, a league championship or something, and you missed your first shot, and I might be messing up the details, so correct me here. You like missed your first shot, and the coach yelled at you. And even though you were probably the best shooter on the team, you didn't shoot the rest of the game because you were afraid of his reaction. Is that did I remember that fairly accurately? Yeah, that was it. Was not the championship game, but it was just a regular game of the season. Okay. And I was a, a sniper in our team, so my job was I was shooting a lot of three pointers. And one of the when I missed one shot and missed second shot. My coach told me, if you're going to, you missed already two shots. If you're going to miss third one, I'm going to put you on the bench because that's, if you can't make first two shots, I mean, it's a day for you and you should not shoot anymore. So in my mind, I started thinking that every time after two missed shots, I should stop shooting. And first I didn't li- like, I tried to listen, but then I was open and I shot and I missed third shot. And he put me on the bench, yelled at me and told me that, uh, that I should not shoot anymore because I already missed two shots and I should not take the shot and I should stop shooting because today is not my day. So after the, after that, I kind of put for a habit, uh, I only have two tries per game. And if I miss second one, I'll be really careful. I'm not going to be aggressive anymore and I'll be just playing defense and running around but not doing my part uh, in the game because I was afraid to miss more I was confident to make. And, and you and I have, have talked about shooters, especially in the NBA, where, you know, there's guys that are paid to shoot. And, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson of the, of the Warriors, guys like that, they might miss their first, uh, first two or three shots, but they're going to keep shooting because they know eventually it will come. And that was taken away from you because of your fear of failure, your fear of riding the bench if you if you did that, correct? Yep. And it's interesting that I moved to America and I played in a league in Kansas. I played in one of the leagues. And one of my friends that played in the same team with me, we were playing in championship game. I, I missed first shot. I missed second shot. And they, he continued passing me. And he's like, keep shooting, keep shooting. And yeah. after two shots, I'm like, nah, I can't make anything to do. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> You are open. You can. You need to keep shooting. I'm like, no, dude, I missed already two shots. I don't want to shoot anymore. And he's like, if you can make shots, you need to shoot them when you're open. And he kind of brought uh, he brought this faith in myself. And I'm like, oh, so no one is going to be mad at me if I'll continue to shoot. And it kind of was new to me after 15 years when I'm 30 playing in American League, my friend telling me, no, keep shooting. You're open, you're using opportunity for the shot, you can make it, you'll make it later, but if you open, you need to shoot. And that's kind of changed my thinking that like, oh, I can play different. I can continue and be aggressive and shoot and 
my team and my teammates are not going to yell at me because that's not the, they're not the same as my coach in college. And you, you had another, excuse me, another uh, negative experience with a coach. He didn't yell at you. He just didn't care. He, he basically, he'd roll the ball out, say, here's what you're going to practice today, and he'd go into his office, tell that story. Yes, we, do, we did have this type, uh, this coach. He was my high school coach. So that's kind of time when you needed the biggest progress in your basketball. He was coaching us from like 13 to 17. That's the time when you're preparing yourself. Do you want to be professional or not? From being a ch- teenager, you start learning things that you need to use when you're professional. After 18, you can potentially already start playing professionally. And during that time, there was the worst progress for me, or, or maybe the, the slowest, the slowest progress, because of the coach that didn't care much about our basketball skills, about or even just as a kid, he didn't care about us as people. He was giving us basic, basic exercises, and we were playing. Not very high level. All right, now I I know the story, but I want you to tell the story. Um, you finally got turned around. Some of it was here, but some of it happened uh, in Poland, how you you got turned around and restored your enjoyment of the sport. Tell that story. Yeah, after college, uh, that's when I had this experience with a coach that didn't like me shoot if I'm missing. After college, when I, when I graduated, I had opportunity to go to basketball camp in Poland. There was one of American coaches uh, that there was my coach during this camp and he he completely had different approach that taught me that there is different coaches in another part of the world and this way of coaching inspired me so much that I was giving my best in every single game I heard encouragement I heard I, I had faith in myself when I played for him because I knew that he, he got my back and he cheers for me and he encouraged me and even when I didn't do something right I was really surprised that after my mistakes, no one told me that, no one uh, called me names and didn't tell me, no one told me bad words about my game and myself. That, that kind of showed me that I can, I can play my best and be aggressive. And even if I do mistakes, my coach will still encourage me. And you can, mention his, me. you can mention his name if you want. Yeah, uh, he became my best friend in America, Jeff Hatfield. That's how we met first time in the camp. And when I moved to Kansas, we're really close friends right now. Yeah, and, and Jeff's one of my good friends. And obviously, that's how, that's how you and I met. You know, it's interesting, Dima. They, you, you talk about this, how that impacted your basketball. But Jeff's, Jeff's um, teaching about positive motivation affected more than basketball, didn't it? It affected your whole life. Yeah, that showed me a completely different way of coaching. And even when you, uh, Jeff wasn't like, he's not, he's not coaching in his full-time job. way how he was, coach, coach, was coaching me showed me the way that you can encourage and uplift and inspire your players without, without yelling at them and offending, offending them and without pointing on mistakes, but in different ways. It kind of showed me that 
thing that I missed all my life. And I realized that this way works better. I had it. I felt I knew this from my first hand experience. You you had plenty of bad experiences to compare it to. And then you had this good experience. And I know you went back to that, that basketball camp in Poland several years. I I was there with you uh, one of those years. Um, You have now taken that approach and, and, and you work with FCA, I see the FCA on your shirt. You work with FCA Ukraine coaching coaches. Um, and, and when did you decide you wanted to get involved in that to teach other coaches that they could, they could do things differently? They could use positive reinforcement. When I lived in America, I already knew that God is calling me to the ministry and be part of sport ministry. But my last couple of years in America, I started praying and thinking what is the best place where I can be, the most productive. And I realized that experience that I had with coaches in my life was not, there was a reason for this experience. And now by seeing different way of coaching and having opportunity to come back and work in the ministry that impacts coaches showed me that God was preparing uh, me for for this uh, for this job. And now I realize that I have opportunity to go back to my country and work with coaches that just starting starting to coach or coach for a couple of years and work for many years. But it's opportunity for me to show them different way of coaching, to show them that they're impacting their kids in a good or bad way. And my job is to show them and uh, show them better way and equip them with knowledge how they can be better coaches that impact kids in the best possible way, not discourage and and uh, bring them down as it happened in my life. Yeah, and and I, if I remember correctly, I, I think his name is Andre, but you had a mentor there in, in Ukraine who, it, the story is humorous, and I'm, I'm not going to even try and tell it, but the story about how Andre got you back to Ukraine to, to work with FCA, tell that story. Well, he, uh, when I come, why I come back to Ukraine story, right? Yeah. Well, I was, yeah, he, he is working as a director of FCA in uh, Eurasia and Europe right now. But in the point when he, when I lived in America, he was FCA Ukraine director. He knew that I always want to come back uh, to Ukraine. And one time he just called me when I was driving. Normally, uh, we have a good friendship, but we don't call each other on a regular basis every day, especially yeah. he's in Ukraine, I'm in America. Yeah. And he called me and I realized that that's something important. So he called me and he asked me, Dima, I remember you want, you were talking about coming back possibly some, uh, in the future to Ukraine. And I was like, yeah, 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 I want, I want to do it someday in the future. I don't know when. And he's like, well, well I have a great opportunity for you to move to Ukraine. We need, we need new staff to work with coaches already this fall. And call was like in April. Kind of caught me off guard. I was like, what do you mean? In six months, I have a job. I have life in America. I have all of this stuff. And he's like, well, we, uh, we do need more workers right now. And we have a place in Kiev and we want to invite you to come back and consider this, this spot. So I came home, surprised my wife. Uh, she didn't, she was not, I, she was uh, also very surprised from, for uh, about, very surprised for such question. But we prayed, we think about it and we realized that that's that's a uh, right time right now that God prepared us for that. 
we lived in America enough, and now it's time to come back and start doing jobs. And, and job in, full, in full disclosure, Riley is from Iowa, but you guys met when she went and worked at a basketball camp in Ukraine when she was like 16, 17 years old. So going to Ukraine was not a, a out of the blue type thing for her either, was it? No, she loved Ukraine. She'd been there like six or seven times before we made this decision. She always wanted to come back. We kind of both knew that that's our path. And in some point we'll go, we'll go back. And I also remember, you know, that he gave you six months, which is really quick time to stop everything here and, and get, get your funds raised and all that stuff. But it seems like there was something else where he said, oh, um, we're speeding up the process um, where he got you over there even quicker and, and changed the changed the uh, the itinerary, I guess. Didn't he? Didn't he change? Didn't he change the job description on you and ask yeah. you to come sooner? No, yes, first, yeah, I got it. This story, yes. First, uh, there was a question for me to come and do CrossFit ministry because I was CrossFit coach for two years before I moved to America, and so we start preparing for this position because we asked, we knew we want to go back to Ukraine. We we're preparing for that. And a week before we quit our jobs and kind of started uh, fundraising, he called me second time. He said, actually, there is position in Kiev for coaches ministry. I want you to consider uh, to pray and think about this person. And that's when I start thinking and realized that maybe all of this experience with my coaches in my life was uh, exactly for this reason, that I can come back work with coaches and after praying and thinking about it i realized that not a crossfit ministry but coaches ministry is place for me to go yes okay. now i understand what question you okay and i was i was thinking there was something else in it so originally going back was to do crossfit and and then it switched to to doing what yes. you are doing now uh, just how cool is it to be back in your home country uh now you're not from kiev you're from outside of kiev but it's still close enough to be back where you grew up making a difference in your own country how cool is that it's really cool i never i i live five hours from kiev for five hours kiev is a big city i was kind of pretty pretty scared to move uh, not to my hometown but biggest city in, in ukraine five million people but i knew that god has planned for me so i was very excited and now when I'm in the world of sport world of Kiev around elite basketball coaches and see how God using this situation that I can serve them and do my best to educate them and invite them on different events that we're doing for them and see how they're open and they want to grow. And we have a couple of groups of coaches that I'm leading and see that they're interested in that and they're thankful that these groups exist. So kind of brings me this joy that I'm in the right spot and I, what I'm doing make, make a, makes a difference. Just I, without naming names, just give me some success stories, some people who may have been raised with the Soviet model of coaching, coaching by intimidation, coaching by breaking down rather than building up the athletes. So you might have had somebody who started that way and through the efforts of you and your colleagues with FCA Ukraine, they're now coaching with positive motivation. Do you have any success stories about that? So far, I'm only two years in Ukraine doing this ministry. So it's hard to say that I changed completely coach heart and he's doing different. But I did start, uh, we did start 
coaches huddle that was called meeting for coaches that we review different topics in first year that was a topic of three-dimensional coaching when we were teaching that there's three dimensions how they can coach their kids first one's physical second is mental and third spiritual like 90 percent probably of ukrainian coaches are in the first dimension our job was to show coaches that there is two more dimensions and how they can use these dimensions to have bigger impact. And after a whole year, coaches loved it so much. They're using, using it in their coaching way. You can see how cultures of the team changing. And now that's a second year when we have this group. We have a new coaches in this group. They're kind of observing and seeing. They can see all their coaches, how they coach right now. And I, what I really loved a couple of days ago that's happened. One of the newer coaches that joined our group was watching was watching game of the team of older coaches. They kind of they were friends, so they're watching each other right. game. Right. He was watching this game. He was like, "Wow, guys, your team are your team is amazing. You guys, way not even about basketball. Way your attitude, players' attitude, way way how coaches coaching, way how great is it like." You all like one team, amazing chemistry. And this older coach, they say, well, that's what we learned from this group. And that's what helped wow. us. It's called culture in this team. It's like this culture exists because of you guys, because of this group that helped us to grow and understand how to build this culture. So newer coach could see on the, like practically, could see on the, uh, in a real life how yeah. after one year doing three-dimensional coaching, now it's even an example for him that these coaches are by being part of was this huddle changed and changed the culture of their team. And now it's example for newer coaches that this group working and way things what we're talking about helping coaches to be better and have bigger impact. And, and a really cool thing is, is they're doing it. It's not you dealing or ministering to or impacting one, one-on-one -on -one every coach in Kiev and every coach in Ukraine, you're impacting coaches who are impacting other coaches who are impacting other coaches and it's a ripple effect, but it's a very positive ripple effect, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. And that's that's what I want to do. I uh, I can do as like how many coaches I can do per one week, three four coaches maybe per week. I can meet personally and do something with them. But when we grab a group, and I can have influence in this group, this group can influence everyone else around them. It's kind of multiplying our job just to affect everyone that they can uh, go and impact everyone around them. I'm really happy. I'm happy to see when other coaches uh, are their example for new coaches, than me constantly trying to educate or bring something new to new coaches. They can see it yeah. from other people. And they, and they see the before and after, you know, if, if you're there talking about the impact that it can make, they only see the after with you. But if they know, if they're looking at a friend who used to be, you know, fire and brimstone in, in the coaching. And now they're, they're encouraging their players and they're motivating them positively. They know what the guy used to be or the gal used to be like. They can see that transformation, which probably is more powerful than just hearing about it from you. Yeah, absolutely. I, so now in our group, sometimes I'm asking, guys, when you started, what was different? And they're like, oh, man, that was, <laughs> that was different. He was... I was a different person. Way how I was coaching when I started, I didn't know anything. Now, now we are a different team, different culture. We learn so much. They they enjoy the most important 
part is to find the coaches that want to grow. Yeah. We still have many coaches that think they know everything and then they don't need any help and they don't need any education. Yeah. That's, well, we're praying for these coaches. Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll have that. You'll have that forever, man. I mean, uh, it's, <laughs> that's, excuse me, no matter how good you, you are at your ministry, you're always going to have somebody that thinks they don't need that. So um, now you're still playing basketball. You're on the FCA team that plays. Is it a city league that you're playing? Yes. Besides serving coaches, we decided that we can have impact by creating a different team than everyone else in the, in the Kiev. Kiev has possibly five, six big leagues. We, it was a challenge to figure out, okay, where we want to play, yeah. how good we are, who can play in our team. And we come up with the idea to create Christian basketball team. I would say basketball team with Christian values because not everyone in our team are Christians. Right. And we want to impact, first of all, players in our team. And by creating amazing culture inside of the team, impact leagues and teams and everyone who is, that is around us. We're playing one of the best Kiev leagues, amateur leagues. But many professionals that finished their careers playing in this league. When I was a child, I was watching uh, professional basketball. And now I'm playing against many of players that I was admiring when I was younger. Now they're like four years old, 10 years old, older than me. But they were professionals when I was a kid. And now I'm playing against them. And I would say it's so far it's pretty successful because of the way how we created this team and culture. One or last game, in the playoffs, uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't win uh, any gold medals. We're still on, in the process of uh, working and getting better. But we, we lost our last game in playoffs. And commentator, uh, guy that was to, uh, on, on, um, on, our, on the YouTube channel, there is a guy that talks about game. And he was, he was saying in the end of the game, look at Team FC, how incredible, even when they're down by seven points, minute before the game, they still fighting till the end. They still encourage each other. They never yell at each other for any mistakes. He's like, I bet it's very nice to play in this team. It's wow. very cool to be their teammate. And I, later, I didn't know that he was talking all of this. Later, when I was rewatching our game, I heard that he said, and I'm like, wow, this is a person that don't know. He doesn't know us personally, yeah. but, but he just seeing us. Uh, for two years, seeing us, we already, yeah, it's been two years when we played. For two years, he already sees uh, our culture and he can, that's how we want to impact everyone. That people can see that we're different, that something is different about our team. Yeah, I, I had not heard that story. And so that is, that is really cool. Uh, that's a new one. That's the last game of this season. Yeah. Are, are you the sniper for your team? Are you still the outside shooter? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I'm not as good as I was in college. So, yeah, but I've seen I've seen pictures uh, on Facebook and even a few videos that you've posted about. You've still got some game, my friend. I changed I changed style of my game definitely. Then I I think I'm smarter now, but I'm not as good shooter because when you're in college, you're practicing five times per week. Yeah. And when you're playing in amateur league, you have a family and job, yeah. you're practicing twice per week. So yeah, I would say I by wisdom, game wisdom, I smarter. I am smarter in basketball, but probably not as good shooter because I don't <laughs> practice as much. All right. I well, wish I could make more shots. Sure. What one of my personal highlights uh, in recent memory 
was attending your ceremony when you became an American citizen. First of all, why, why did you do that? Why was that important to you? Well, my wife uh, is American. We want we wanted to be more connected in, in this way, even that we are as American family. Mm-hmm. We wanted our kids to be Americans in future. Plus, for four years living in America, I can totally say that's my second home. Yeah. Between between traveling when we go to America or to Ukraine, I don't feel that I'm going to visit my friends. I feel like I'm going back home. And then yeah. I go back to Ukraine. I also feel like going back home. I just have two homes in the world. It was yeah. important for us that I would not be as a green card holder or constantly uh, trying to get visas to go back to my home that I consider second home. Now, I'm, I didn't tell you this ahead of time, but I, I believe you could be, you could fit right in. You could be at home wherever it is. I, you know, when I was in Poland with you one time, I heard you speak like three or four, at least three or four different languages, obviously your native tongue and English. And we went out to a restaurant and you spoke to somebody in Polish and you probably speak Russian. What, how many languages do you speak? Four. Okay. I, I forgot German. I learned it in school, but then I start speaking more English and I forgot German. So four. Okay. Polish, Russian, Ukrainian, and English. Do you ever start a conversation in one language, forget who you're talking to and switch? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say in Ukraine constantly. Ukraine, it's kind of uh, Russian, Ukrainian, back and forth, depends what part of Ukraine. My brain is just switching automatically, depends on what language person is talking to me. Okay. If it's a Russian-speaking person, I'm speaking Russian, but if another person speaks Ukrainian to me, I switch it to Ukrainian. Man, I, th- that's just mind-boggling. I have trouble with English, and that's the only one I speak. Uh, I mean, that, that is just really impressive. Is that something that most people who grow up in Ukraine, where you know you're going to have Ukrainian and Russian, obviously, and then as you travel, is that something that comes naturally, or or did you really have to work at that? Yes, I would say bonus bonus of growing up in post-Soviet country is that most of our parents uh, spoke Russian when they were growing up. In my yeah. family, my parents spoke Russian. I learned Russian naturally from just having it at home. And I learned Ukrainian because I was speaking Ukrainian in school and all my education was in Ukrainian. By knowing these two languages, it's much easier to learn Polish because it's also Slavic connection language. Many words are different, but similar. And if you're smart enough, you can catch differences and start understanding how what, what difference in these words and you start learning language pretty quick. So I would say Polish is kind of similar to both of Russian and Ukrainian, so it's easier to learn. The same with Czech. I don't speak Czech, but I believe that by knowing Polish, Ukrainian, and Russian, I could possibly understand 70% of Czech without ever speaking Czech. Okay. And then how'd you pick up German? My sister was learning German in school, and for some reason I thought it's a good idea to start learning German too because my sister learning it. Never used it in my life stopped learning when I was like 18 and replaced it with English. I didn't spoke any English before 18. Okay. And you're, you're very fluent in English. I mean, I, I, obviously that's the only way you and I can 
can connect. I know about 15 words in Polish from my time uh, in Poland, but if, if we were, want to go past water and bread and hello and thank you and good night, uh, I'm going to do hand signals. So uh, your English is very good. Thank you. Well, um, and we talked a little bit about this, but just even though you are now an American citizen, you feel called to serve in the Ukraine. Just talk about that calling to go back home. I just feel that with all experience that I have, there is more people in Ukraine that can can have the same coaches like I had. And God is calling me to do my best, at least find coaches that are open to listen, to change. And then, I can, then they can make a difference. And if even, I would say, even if one coach will change his heart and will do it differently, one coach per year impacting more lives than average person per lifetime. Yeah. Even one coach change, with one changed heart, how many lives he can impact in a better way. It's already forced. Yeah. But uh, I hope it's going to be more than one. Yeah, no, that's that's a great answer, and that obviously that quote was was a Billy Graham quote. A coach changes yep. more yep. more lives in one year than most people do in a lifetime. Um, talk about your family. I know you've got uh, you've got brothers and sisters. Is that right? And then and then we'll we'll save Riley and the new baby for last. So talk about your siblings. I have a, I have mom and dad still live in my hometown. My okay. sister, I have a sister. She's married and she has a daughter a year ago. So she will have some, she will have a cousin. My, my niece is going to have her first cousin. And okay. my sister is still in hometown. I live in Kiev, so it's four hours away. Okay. I have a wife, Riley. She's from Iowa. We're married almost for six years. We will have six years on May 30th. And on a June 1st or due date, for the first baby boy. Okay, and you're not going to tell us the name now, but when I can, I can say first letter is L. Okay, well, I'm, and that doesn't help me at all because you know, I don't know the Ukrainian names, but um, but I can tell you that when we release this, we'll we'll put it in because I'll get I'll get the the Facebook message and probably a personal greeting as well about uh, what we can call him. But I will I will say that. Um, and I, I say this with all due respect to you, my friend, but if anybody could be in a room with Riley Rechkovska for more than about eight seconds and not feel better about things, they need to check their pulse because she is about she is about the most vibrant person, the sweetest person I have ever met. And dude, there's a football term, American football term. Uh, you outpunted your coverage, so we got to come up with one for basketball. You you were shooting way beyond your range. How about that? Yes, yes, and I did make it right. And you made it. That's right. Yeah, you swished it from beyond half court. So, yeah, definitely true. Um, I always like to ask my guests to wrap up with this, and you can answer the, you can interpret the question however you want, and you can answer it however you want. What is your legacy? My legacy. That's a good question. That's a really good question. I hope that uh, after whatever I'm doing all my life, more people can say that uh, because of what Dima did, I have uh, my life was changed. That's a great answer. That's that's a great answer. That that's going to rank. I, we've done. Uh, I've done close to a hundred of these, and. Um, 
that's probably in my top five of the answers. The best one I ever heard was a Hall of Fame football player here in, in the States who said, my, my legacy is I want to live my life so the preacher doesn't have to lie at my funeral. Huh. So, but that's but yours, yours is a very good one. My, my friend, it's always good to catch up with you. I look forward to seeing you the next time you guys come to the States, loving on that little baby boy of yours and give my best to Riley. And thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, David. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.